God of love and peace, we pray this morning that you might continue to speak to us. Having heard the miraculous ability of your son to calm even the storms, we pray that you might calm that storm in our hearts, the chaos that's around us, and that we might find shalom. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. Amen. So this is our fourth week in our sermon series on this Hebrew word, shalom, which oftentimes is translated peace. It's probably the easiest way to translate peace in the Old Testament, but it also means so much more than that because when we think of peace, we often think of peace as the absence of violence. But the Hebrew concept of shalom means a sense of completeness, a sense of wholeness. It's, and I've used the analogy and I remind us of it. It's that missing puzzle piece that you have that you, is just not finished until you put it in and now everything is done. That is the idea of shalom. And we've talked throughout about how that means that there's included within this a requirement of justice, that we must include all people, all puzzle people, or all people that have the image of God within them, which is everyone, to have a voice at the table. And last week, we also talked about how we have to find inner peace if we're ever going to find peace outside. And this story I, I love because I think it kind of like ties together a number of those components. And I, and I think I also love it because it's a quintessential Sunday school uh, children's message scripture that we have. In fact, I do preschool chapel every week or most every week that I can with our preschool that we have. And I go down and we do a couple songs and we do a message. And this happened to be the one that I chose because I knew that we were going to be, I was going to be talking about it on Sunday. And, and it's perfect, right? That this idea that all of a sudden everything just starts getting chaotic and Jesus just yells, peace, be still. And we communicate to the kids that God's desire for all of us is to have this sense of peace, the calmness. And I, and I use the analogy of like when you're getting really built up inside and you're mad at someone and you just want to have a tantrum and they all said none of them has ever had a tantrum. I was really surprised by that because all these, you know, preschoolers never have tantrums. And um, I didn't say the word tantrum, just like, you know, uncontrollable yelling and kicking and all those things. They looked at me like deer in a headlight. And I was like, oh, wow. Maybe I talked to your parents then. Anyway, all that to say is that we talked about how they might also breathe peace in the world. Like just kind of breathe like Jesus did. I just imagine him kind of being like, and it's calm. And though when I was preparing for this though, I, it kind of hit home with me a little bit more about the emotions that were there. And as I was kind of like toying with it, because I was preparing for this sermon and thinking about the preschool at the same time, I started to think about the nuances to this like idea that, you know, you know, Jesus just says, what, where, do you have no faith? Why don't you, why are you worrying? And it's like, of course, we just have faith in Jesus and everything's good, that everything will be calm and peaceful all the time. But then I thought about who these people were for a moment, that Jesus surrounded himself by the disciples. And I, I don't remember the exact number, but what were the trades? Do you remember the trades of the disciples? Yeah. I mean, there's a significant percentage of the disciples that were fishermen. That their job was to be in a boat. 
a number of years ago, I found myself on a lake in Minnesota for the first time in like 10 years. And, and we were trying to dock the boat. And, and it was like, it was really hard to do it. And I probably was way better at it at one point in my life. But it, it was windy and it was kind of crazy. And it, it's just hard to get it in, you know? And I was kind of freaking out. I didn't know exactly what to do. But like a well-seasoned person in that moment is kind of like, okay, well, I'll just go back around or okay, and they'll know exactly what they'll do. And they just have it down. Like it's unfazing. Like the wind right now is crazy, but those who know how to handle it in the certain circumstances can do it. And so I would like to think that these disciples, if they're around the age of Jesus, had probably been doing this fisherman thing for at least 15 years because Jesus started his ministry when he was 30. And so they've spent time on a boat. I mean, this wasn't just kind of like, it's rough out there, right? They would walk out to Kailua Beach over the past couple of days and see the waves that were out there. I mean, they were crazy. They were, the surf line report was saying 10 to 15 foot waves at our beach, which is a lot more than usual. I mean, they were wild waves. So much so that these expert fishermen, well, I like to think of them as experts, they were freaking out. They didn't know what to do. And then this teacher that told them, let's get in the boat in the first place, is just sitting there and he's sleeping. And I think that I, as I was pondering this feeling of the disciples, that it wasn't just kind of this like fleeting fear. I started to think about, well, how does this story speak differently to us? A few uh, nights ago, we watched this movie. It's a new movie on Netflix. Uh, it's called Orion and the Dark. And it was a hilarious movie because it started, it's all about this kid who is terrified of everything. I mean, he like has this little journal and this little coloring book. And he's like, I'm afraid of the bees because they might sting me. I'm afraid of standing on the top of a you know, skyscraper because the railing might call out and I'll fall out. I'm afraid of, and he just kind of like goes through all the things. And he talks about this like funny moment in class where he's like, I'm afraid that if I call my hand or if I raise my hand and uh, I know the, even though I know the answer, I might say the wrong word and everyone's going to turn around and laugh at me. But if I don't raise my hand, then she's going to call on me and the same thing is going to happen. And then she might think that I don't know the answer. And so I'm just going to pretend to be invisible as he kind of like leans over and hides behind this person, right? I mean, the, these fears that we have can be overwhelming and uncontrollable. And they're just, they surround us. And the movie kind of reminded me of, it's a fun movie, and it reminds you of the fears that all of us have, and especially some of our keiki, and they might seem unreasonable. Some of those fears are, have the kernel of something really reasonable, right? Like, so the disciples had a reason to be afraid. And I think that what that movie showed me and also what this scripture shows me is that the first step towards peace when there's chaos is the ability to say there's a problem. I mean, think about that. The ability to name your fear is a step towards something better, something more peaceful. Because if you name your fear, now we can look at it. I mean, imagine what might have happened if the disciples would have said, I got this on my own. We're expert fishermen, by the way. What would have happened in that situation? I don't know. Might have been a much different story in the end. But they were able to wake Jesus and look for him and to say there was a problem. I know that none of you in this room admit to having, or like all of you have a problem with admitting to problems, right? Like you're just good to go all the time. 
I know for me at least, it's hard because to say there's a problem or say you're afraid is to acknowledge a vulnerability. It's to acknowledge a need. It's to admit that perhaps despite being an expert fisherman, I don't know. So I might not, well, I don't know what the Bible says about that. Or I don't know all the mysteries of the divine. Don't mind the fact that I have a master's in divinity. Do we name the problems? Uh, um, Kate Bowler is a professor at Duke, and I I mentioned uh, her regularly. She has this book that she, she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, and she wrote a book in the midst of wrestling through that. She was a a professor in prosperity gospel, and she started to interrogate her questions of God when she was diagnosed with this uh, potentially terminally, at the time they thought terminally, uh, terminal illness. And she decided to write a book during that, um, how everything happens for a reason and other lies I've loved. And it's a New York bestseller, and and I recommend it. We're going to do a series on it eventually. But she just came out with a new book. And the new book is... um, things to get you through this beautiful and terrible day that you have. And the joke within it begins by acknowledging that our days can be terrible. They can be bad. And that in itself, the space that we have with our God to be able to say, this is hard, is in itself sacred at some level. To say, hey, this really But it doesn't end there. I think that that's a stage, and we have to make space for people to have that. But to live out that peace also comes with other things, and I think that this story unfolds it. Because what's the next step? After acknowledging, Jesus, what are you doing? There's this storm. What do they do? They look to him for help. So not only are they acknowledging it, but they're now able to ask And those are two different things, aren't they? To be like, oh, my knee really hurts and I need you to do something for me. Like, can you help me with laundry? Like, who needs help with laundry? But if your knee hurts so bad that you can't get out, you know, like, you need to ask for help. Because it's one thing to complain about where life is. It's another thing to learn how to rely on someone else. And that's what the disciples do. They ask Jesus, what's going on? What is he? Do you not see this? And they're looking. The implicit here is, help me, Jesus. Help me. And then, then they move on to this next one, which I think is, is really important for us, is that they allow Jesus to do his thing. Did you know that not one of us is able probably to calm the storm like Jesus did? I don't know if you've tried. I've tried. doesn't work. I've prayed really, really hard and really, really adamantly, but unfortunately, those waves do not stop accordingly. And I think that there's a piece with it. I mean, Jesus says, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? But when I, I hear that word afraid, I can't help but think about maybe what Jesus is getting at with that particular word. And a few weeks ago, we had the funeral service for uh, uh, Mele Havea. And uh, Mele is the wife of the pastor of our Tongan congregation that worships here, and mom of Kauvea, and also Hesi, who's are members of our church. 
And she had a whole list of psalms that she had chosen to have, or that she loved, and that the family gave to me to have for the homily time. And out of them, uh, one of them that struck me was my favorite psalm, which is Psalm 103. And she had that on her list. And so I thought, this is a great psalm to have on her list. Although when you read this psalm, you might be like, why are you talking about this at a funeral? Because it is riddled with this word, the fear of God. The fear of God. That God forgives the, the trespasses as far as the east is from the west for those who fear him. So when I hear Jesus say, why are you afraid? I start to hear the words of the psalmist's fear of God. But I don't think it's the same way we understand fear. Like, I don't think it's like, why are you afraid? Like, Orion is afraid of the dark. I think it's, why aren't you relying on me? Why aren't you relying upon God? Because that's the irony with all the Hebrew poetic wisdom literature. Spoiler alert for a new a sermon series we'll have is the fear of God is recognizing our complete and utter reliance upon God for everything. For everything. And when we begin to understand that we are reliant upon God for everything, we begin to understand that we cannot stop this storm. We cannot change the circumstances of our day. We cannot, you know, stop the conflict that's rising in the Middle East. We cannot solve racism, solve hunger, solve all of those things on our own. None of it. But what we need to acknowledge is that we must rely upon God. That God gives us all that we need. And when we begin to let that truth sink in, we might be able to do something differently with our actions. There's this quote, one of the authors that I really love, his name is Friedrich Buchner. I especially love his book, Godric. But I stumbled this week upon a quote that he has. Quentin, can you put the quote up on the screen? This is him talking about this idea of like hardship and, um, and peace coming together. And he says, the grace of God means something like, here is your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here's the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you reach out and take it. Maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too. This idea that you are complete and that God is with you is the whole point that I believe that brings this peace be still over the chaos that's around. God is there in that boat with the disciples, and if the disciples would have known it, they perhaps would have been less worried about their circumstances and more fearful of God who was there and would rely, they could rely upon. 
And it doesn't mean that everything's going to be okay. Don't hear me. Like, God doesn't always stop the waves. But it gives you peace amidst the chaos. It gives you peace amidst the chaos. That first song that we sang, uh, some of you might know, is, uh, has become known as the Hebrew National Anthem. Sorry, not the Hebrew National Anthem. It's the Negro National Anthem. It's a song that's sung. I remember I would get together at a Martin Luther King Jr. banquet and the University of North Carolina, and they grab all the leaders from the community, and we'd get together, and then one of the African-American pastors would stand up, and then they would sing that song together. And you can get this sense of what drove them and what drove Martin Luther King Jr. in his march for civil rights was not like, we're going to fix the problem. That song is riddled with a sense of foundation in God's love for us. And as we acknowledge that, now we can change the world around us. It It was a sense that Jesus is with us. And if Jesus is with us, if our circumstances don't change, our circumstances don't change because I'm not reliant upon the circumstances changing. I'm reliant upon what? God's presence with us. This confidence that we get that God will never separate us allows us to do amazing things. Some of the people that I look through their lives throughout history, and I think about how, how in the world do they do that? Like Nelson Mandela, like how do you spend that many years in prison and then come out of that and then teach your apartheid black brothers and sisters that they need to include the white community as they restructure? The sense of forgiveness that's there and the peace that was there is just so foundational we might not be able to change it, but we can rely on the one who calms the storm because in the end, Jesus calms the storm. And so our task, I think, is multifold depending on where you are. If you're at the place of, if I'm in this terrible day, that is okay. Jesus is in the boat with you and Jesus isn't leaving. And so you can proclaim all you want. I am in the storm. You might be finally to the point where you can reach out and ask for help. And you can ask God for help. And importantly, I believe God works through the lives of other people. So you can ask someone else. It's okay to be vulnerable. And perhaps you're kind of there and you're kind of, you, you feel secure in who God, like your love, God's love of you and feel secure in your life. And now you get to be one of the people that hears the cries and that is the support for someone else. So when they ask, you might be the hands and feet that help guide them to peace. And then together, all of us remain hopeful in the foundational truth of this thing, grace. And I don't like Buchner's word, we got to take it. I like to say we receive it. 
And I can say, whether we like it or not, it's for us. And that's what we're going to do at communion is we receive God's grace. You got to be, I think, a sense of willingness. God kind of does overflow it on us, but there's something about receiving it and acknowledging I'm willing to receive that changes us. And so my prayer for us is that we would allow the peace that God offers to change us. Acknowledge the hardship. Ask for help. Remember, Jesus and God is the Savior, not us. And that God is always with us. We just receive God's grace.